Hello and thank you for logging on to the Memory Gauge, your new favourite Digimon card game podcast. I'm your host, Connor, and today I am going to be walking you through my personal process for creating a new deck from first concept all the way through to that first game at an event. I thought it would be interesting to take a look at the way that I build a deck, show you how I build my decks, the process that I go through, and then open up the discussion to talk to you listeners about the way that you build decks, and then hopefully we could all come together, bring all our ideas together, and arrive at something really amazing, a really, like, the perfect deck building process is the dream. Uh, I don't think we'll get there, but we can at least try. We can at least sort of shoot for the stars there. No other announcements to get into before we tackle our main topic, because after our huge look at the state of the BT9X record meta, in our last episode, there haven't been any really major events in English, so there's no new ground to cover. I think, generally speaking, as I said in that episode, we're going to be on the downswing at the moment because there's no major events coming really before the release of the next set, BT10. So, if anything, what I think we're going to see, and what I'm seeing at a local level and what I expect is probably pretty standard at most locals and most places where people are playing, we're seeing a move away from competitive top tier decks and people are now starting to be a bit more experimental. They're thinking, well, I don't have to refine my best BT9 deck because there's no major event, so what would be the point? I can try this deck I always wanted to play, but I didn't think it was very strong. I can do this goofy idea. I can do this weird combo. So we're going to be seeing more of that, and I know personally I'm seeing that at my locals, and it's a pretty fun time to be playing the game. This is If you're a more competitively minded person, it might not be your favorite time to be playing, but I find it very interesting to play because you kind of see a bit more variation than you might when everybody is trying to play the quote-unquote best deck. So that is kind of a very small look at this quote-unquote state of the meta, which is it's a time of shift and it's a time of creativity. And now for our main topic. This week, I thought that I would walk you through my personal process for building a new deck. Now, I'm not going to claim that this is the perfect process. Obviously, I'm not topping events. I'm not winning nationals, not winning regionals. I don't even win locals most of the time, to be honest. I usually come second or third. Um, So this is not like the secret sauce to competitive success. What I have found, though, with this process that I have refined over many years of playing different trading card games and two years now of playing the Digimon card game, very nearly, I am pretty consistently able to take concept to execution. I'm able to come up with the idea and then build it eventually into something that works more or less the way that I hoped it would. Are they always really, really strong? No. But they work in the way that I hoped they would more or less, barring some exceptions where there's an interaction or something that I didn't foresee because I didn't plan for what my opponents would be playing, which is more of a gameplay oversight on my part than a deck-building oversight. So I thought that that could be something interesting to talk about. I also thought that in that we would bring up net decking, which is a little bit of a touchy subject for some people in the trading card game hobby community there is an idea around that net decking is the less 
like is the province of people who aren't good at card games, etc. You hear that kind of stuff around all the time, right? There's a lot of discussion about net decking. It comes up every so often. I think less recently, but for a long time, it's been sort of a, a thing that comes up every so often and ignites a big discussion. And I thought that this particular episode was a great time to sort of tackle that as well. So we will be talking about net decking and what I think about it as we go. And then finally, I'd like to open the discussion up to all of our listeners to share your own processes for deck building so that we can put them all together and, as I said in the intro, arrive at the perfect or best deck building process with all of our minds combined into one. So the first thing that you need when building a deck or the place that I always start when building a deck is the concept or the idea. And the concept and the idea can come from a lot of places. Sometimes for me, it comes from looking ahead to what people are playing in Japan and what's doing well in Japan. I do like to keep sort of one eye on the Japanese version of the meta that we're in as a set releases. Part of my set review process is that I look at, well, what was doing well when this set was being played in Japan? And then very often that ignites ideas in my head that says, oh, that person built that deck or lots of people were building this deck around this card. That was really, looks really cool to me looking at the deck list. It looks really interesting. I would love to build a version of that. Sometimes you see somebody else playing a deck, like you go to locals or you see on increasingly on YouTube or other content uh, creation spheres, you see other people playing decks and you think, you think, oh, that was really cool when that interaction happened. Those cards that they're playing together, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a really cool idea. I would love to play that deck. And then sometimes it kind of comes to you, quote unquote, by yourself. You'll see the cards in a set. You see a particular card or a particular few cards, and then it generates that idea. It's like, oh, clearly these cards were designed to work together. What does that look like in a deck? I would love to see that. I think they're really cool. I want to build that deck. I want to see what that looks like when it all comes together. So lots of different places you can grab these concepts. You can grab them from other people. You can grab them from your favorite content creators. You can get them from people at your locals. You can get them from the Japanese meta, or you can get them just by looking at the cards and having a read and thinking about what individual cards might look like in a deck. So once you've, once I have concepted an idea, come up with an idea, the next step is to start actually drafting the deck. And like when you, maybe you haven't done it in a while, but when you had to write an essay at school or any piece of writing or any piece of art or creation, you have to come up with a draft before you have the final version. You don't knock out the final perfected version on the first try. It just doesn't happen. You have to draft it up. So if the deck that I'm trying to build, maybe it's an established deck. It's something that I'm getting from the Japanese meta, from the English meta, from content creators. What I will do is I will set up a new deck on, I use digimoncard.dev, probably the best place to build your decks and take a look at all of the cards, in my opinion. Not a sponsor. They're just really cool. I open up a new deck on digimoncard.dev and then I just drop in a copy of every card 
that I see any version of the deck playing so that I can see all of my sort of choices in front of me. So if it's an established deck, I'm getting it from uh, from the Japanese meta or from the English meta or from a content from content creators. And I usually won't just copy one person's deck. I like to look at all of the different decks that are built around the same idea. Then I will drop in every card that any of those decks are playing so I see all the different choices that everybody is playing. So I don't just drop in the carbon copy of one deck. I, I say, okay, this pe- person is playing all of these cards. And then this version of the deck has this tech. So I'm going to put this into this draft deck as well. And then this version of the deck is playing these couple of different cards. So I'm going to put those in as well. And then I end up with way too many cards, but I can see all of the choices in front of me. And then I could start to narrow things down from there. If I'm building from scratch, I'm building around a card or an interaction that I've seen in the set, usually I will just go up level by level, or if the deck is clearly going to be built around a certain Digimon type or archetype, I look at all of the available cards in that type or archetype, and I add just as many cards as I can see that I think might fit in the deck, because I really love to have choices. I love to see all my choices in front of me and be able to visualize them, visualize them, uh, Clearly, visually works better for me because I can't speak. (laughs) And I like to have them all in front of me so that I can then start to make choices from there. Now, what helps is knowing from broad experience kind of the broad strokes of what I would want in a deck. I know that in most cases, I'm going to want a larger bottom end than a top end. 12 to 14 level 3s, 10 to 12 level 4s, 7 or 8 level 5s, 4 to 8 level 6s, some tamers, some search cards, some ways to get ahead in memory, option cards that fit with the theme. That really helps me as I'm putting the deck together because I know, okay, I need to put in lots of level three options. I can probably narrow down my level four options, narrow down even further on my level fives, level sixes, etc. Once I've got a broad stroke of the deck, once I've kind of got those ratios in place, I've picked out the cards that I would like to play, the ones I think look the best when I have them all set in front of me. That's when I'm going to start sleeving them up and putting that first version of the deck together. How do I pick the cards that actually go into the deck? What I find once all of the cards are in front of you and you can see them, it becomes a bit easier to kind of pick cards out. If I'm building from an established deck, kind of the numbers of decks that are playing cards are a little bit of a thing to go by. Like if every version of the deck you see is playing four copies of a certain level three, that's a no brainer. It's obvious that level three is going to be really good. So you probably want to include those four copies. If only one deck is playing a tech, maybe you want to think very carefully about whether that is something that you're interested in or whether you don't actually agree with that particular deck builder and you don't want to include it. I find that getting all that data in front of you and saying, okay, these are the cards that I'm seeing most, so probably I want to put them in. These are the cards that I'm seeing the least, so I need to cherry pick these and be very careful about them because they may not be the best choice. That's a really good way to get a draft of the deck going. You get the most popular cards, put them in, and you've got sort of the bare bones basic version of the deck without all the flourishes that make it your own, but it's something that you can then move forward and tweak. Very, very hard to tweak a deck if you don't have the deck. 
<laughs> you can't edit what doesn't exist. So you have to build that bad, bare bone, boring version before you get the really, really cool version. So don't worry too much about trying to nail it first time. Just get something functional so you can test the broad ideas and then you can narrow it down from there. So once I've got that sort of boring basic version of the deck built, I'll sleeve it up with the cards that I have, proxy what I don't have, and just try to have the rules open near me so that I can refer back to them when I pick up, say, oh, this random purple option that's in this green deck is actually this card. What are the rules for that? I can look at it and then I can sort of play it as it comes up. Now that I have that sleeved up deck, that first draft deck, this is when the testing period begins. And the testing period is very, very important because really you're not going to know if you're enjoying a deck or if a deck is working the way you want it to work if you don't play it. You've got to play it, you've got to test it. That's really, really obvious, but it's important, so I'm going to say it. The first few times that I test a deck, personally, I just goldfish it. When I say goldfish it, um, basically what I mean is playing it as if I'm playing against a goldfish. I play it sort of by myself without an opponent. I step through the draws and the decisions that I make on each turn. I assume I start on sort of one or two memory at the start of every turn, unless I have a tamer. Or if I want to put a bit of randomness in it and kind of simulate having an opponent, I'll roll a dice and randomly set myself to sort of between one and three memory at the start of a turn to sort of simulate the varying amounts of memory that you might be given in a game and then try to make the decisions that I would make if I was given that much memory. Now, once I've played it through a few times and it seems to be working, I'm not bricking or I'm bricking very, very rarely. I'm confident I have the ratios correct. I'm not dead drawing. I'll start playing the deck against other decks in my collection. I do a lot of... Um, testing by myself because where I live it's kind of hard to just get together with people really quickly and test things it takes a bit of an effort to go one two three towns over and get together with everybody and I don't always have my webcam set up and a lot of the people I know are international so the time zones always don't always meet up so the easiest way for me to do this initial bout of testing anyway before I'm confident that I might want to play a deck against somebody is to just play against the other decks in my collection and control both decks. Now, this part of the testing period is when I start to assess whether the deck is doing the things that it's meant to do. I'm, I might be drawing the cards I need so that it doesn't sort of just die without getting to do anything, but is it actually achieving the combos that I was hoping for? Are the cards working together in the ways that I wanted them to work together? Am I able to put together a win condition or is the deck kind of just doing something interesting that is not actually furthering a game plan? Am I able to draw cards that deal with threats from the opponent and stop them from winning? During this period, I'll also assess the individual card choices. If I find that I, very often I'm picking up a card and being disappointed or wishing that it was another card, or that it had another effect or something, maybe that card doesn't actually fit in this version of the deck. Maybe that's a card I want to swap out for something else. These are all things that you take into consideration during this testing period, and the best way to get a good idea of them is to test a lot to play a lot. So after a number of games, how, how many actually varies, but I find I'll play a deck somewhere from 5 to 20 times in this initial testing period, just really quick games, I'll be able to ha start having a picture of which cards are working and which cards aren't. So at this stage, I might adjust the card count of a certain card. If I find that there's something that I like seeing, but I don't see it often enough, 
I'll add more. If I see a card too often, I find that I only really need one of it, and then the second copy is a dead draw, then I might put fewer in, or I might swap out a card entirely and say, oh, actually, this card is not really doing what I wanted it to do. It would be better if it was this. Then, once the deck has been changed, once the deck has been tweaked, then you need to test again with the new changes. This should just take a few games, play a couple games, tweak it a little bit more, play a couple games, tweak a little bit more. Sometimes it's going to take those few passes to get the deck to where you want it to be, and sometimes it comes together really, really quickly. So it all varies. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get unlucky. The important thing is to keep practicing, to keep tweaking it until you're happy with it, because deck building, I find, is an ongoing process. It's uh, something that takes a bit of time to keep going through it you don't nail the deck straight away you i find that you don't nail the deck after the third fourth fifth time it takes a lot of passes to get that deck to where you really are confident in it so once you're finally confident in it then it's time to take the deck to its first event usually this is going to be your locals now importantly you've got at this point you've got to buy or swap for the cards you need to complete the deck and then bring it to the event and I find that it's best to wait. If you're worried about getting the cards, maybe go earlier. Like if you have to order them, order them online. But for the most part, I find it's better to wait until later iterations to get the cards. This is why I proxied the cards earlier. Because if you don't like the deck, if it's not fun, then you're just going to drop the money on the cards and never use them. So wait until you're confident you actually want to play the deck before you pull the trigger on getting all the actual copies of the cards, especially if the cards are expensive. You're going to feel really bad if you drop money on a $15 card and then you find that actually you don't even enjoy the deck that you've built that uses it because it might not fit anywhere else and then you're just stuck with this expensive card that you don't really want to use. As you bring the deck to its first locals, remember, no plan survives first contact. You are going to run up against situations, against matchups that you didn't plan for. If your deck gets beaten by something unexpected, that is not immediately a sign that you need to go back to the drawing board and take the whole deck apart and try again. You, maybe you just need to adjust a couple card counts. Maybe you just need to keep that exact same deck. You just need to adjust the way you play and play the matchup differently next time. Don't take the one failure or a couple of failures as a sign that the deck doesn't actually work the way that you want it to and a sign that you need to go back to the drawing board as I said it just you might just need to tweak it a little bit before you completely scrap it now by this point the deck is kind of quote unquote done you'll have a pretty good idea of how it operates in an actual event situation but for me personally, and I'm sure for a lot of you listeners, a deck is really only done when I unsleeve it completely and I use the cards to build something new. Otherwise, it's a constant state of iteration and evolution. There's always the possibility of making changes. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the deck is done when the next format comes out. I find that often that's the way it works for me. I don't tend to hold decks over multiple formats, but for a lot of people, they've been playing the same deck for many formats. So maybe you're constantly iterating on the same deck and you're confident in it, and that is okay. The important part is to go through your processes, make sure you're doing the due diligence. Don't expect to slap some cards together, not test it, 
go to your locals and win. It's just not going to work. Even if you build a deck exactly to a Nationals winning deck list, you can't then just slap those cards together and expect to play it because there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the background behind that person putting that deck together that allowed them to win that event beyond just having those particular cards in 50 sleeves. Which brings me to the part of the episode where I wanted to talk about net decking. I've touched on the actual process of net decking through this episode. I talked about taking, um, looking at deck lists from online as I talked about my particular process. And if you don't know what net decking is, I didn't explain it earlier, but net decking is the process of looking up a deck list online and then building that deck and playing that deck. Now, some people think that uh, being able to build a deck and decide what cards go into a deck are all part of the skills of playing a trading card game. And if you can't do that, if you have to copy somebody else's work, then it means, oh, you must not be good at the card game. You must not be very good at all. And people kind of get very... People who don't like net decking get very emotional about it um, or very sort of passionate about it, I suppose I should say. They say that you need to be able to build your own decks. You shouldn't be copying things off the internet. You should be having your own ideas and doing your own work. And to a certain degree, I do understand that. Personally, I don't like to just copy one for one somebody else's deck. I do like to look at a few and then take ideas from a few places and put them together into my own deck. But that being said, I think it's pretty obvious where, should be obvious from now where I fall on the net decking debate. I think that ultimately this is a hobby. It's meant to be enjoyable and people are meant to interact with it in the way that makes them the happiest or brings them the most joy. And there are all kinds of ways to do that. And maybe you are not somebody who has a lot of time and to do that whole process. The process I described eats up a lot of time. Maybe you don't have the time to do that. You just want something that you can put together, play a couple test games so you get a handle on how it's meant to work, bring to locals, and you know that it's going to function. That is fine. That is more than fine if that's what you're doing. I have no problem with that. If you want to do that same thing and then bring that deck to Store championships, regionals, nationals, a massive event. I have no problem with that either. With the advent of the internet and places like DigimonMeta.com, DigimonCard.dev, for Magic the Gathering, there's things like EDH, Rec. For every card game, people are collating deck data. They're putting it online for everybody to see. And I think if you are just saying, nope, can't use that, can't use that information, sorry, that's someone's going to other people are going to you can't police that there's no way to stop other people from doing that so you can handicap yourself if that if you want to that's fine but you can't make that choice for other people other people are going to do what they do and i don't think it's for our place to judge how people interact with the hobby you can feel morally superior if you want, but don't put somebody else down for the way that they choose to interact with this thing that is meant to bring them joy because that's kind of being a jerk. And so that's kind of where I fall on the whole net decking thing. I know that people 
I know that people get sort of a bit up in arms about it. And if that's you, that's okay. Personally, I just always fall on the side of don't make other people feel bad about it. All right. Just in everything you do, be kind to others is kind of my philosophy. And I hope that listeners, that's a philosophy that you would carry forward as well. So that's kind of my deck building process. I know it was a bit of a quick episode this week. I know we kind of shot right through, but I feel like we packed a lot of information into a very small amount of time, and hopefully it is helpful for you if you're someone who is maybe starting out in Digimon, or maybe you're just somebody who you've played with, like you've played for a while, but you want to start getting into the process of building your own decks and putting a bit more of your own sort of fingerprints on your decks. Hopefully knowing my process has helped you to be able to sort of develop your own process or change the parts of your process that maybe aren't working as well for you. Maybe you can just pick up some ideas from my deck building process and put them into your own. Basically my hope is that this has been helpful and enjoyable to listen to All right, you have heard enough from me. Now, I would very much like to hear from you. Our listener question of the week is, what is your deck building process? I would love, love, love to get a lot of people telling us what their process is. Give us a bit of a walkthrough. Maybe don't be as verbose as me because, let's be honest, I go on a bit. So maybe let's go 250 words or less. What does your deck building process look like? Let's get some dot points. Let's get some step-by-step because I think we can all take this as an opportunity to share our information, pool our information, and all come out better for it. I've shared my process. Now I would love to hear your process as listeners. If you have an answer to that listener question, or if you have any questions, feedback, comments, or concerns, you can email me, memorygagepodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, Memory Gage Podcast. You can tweet at me, at Connor EFMG, or you can join our Discord server. Links to all of that will be in the show notes of this episode, and I am always happy to hear from you listeners. New episodes of this podcast come out each and every week, so make sure that you follow us on your podcast service of choice so you can stay up to date. And if the podcast service of your choice allows you to do so, please rate and review the show because it really helps people to find us and it helps us out. All right, thank you so much for listening. This is the Memory Gauge, logging out. Logging out.